to see y'all here on spring break week. I don't know how many of you have uh, families that are out. I am a bachelor all week this week, which is going to be terrible. I'm going to hate being all by myself. It's going to be awful. I'm, I will be uh, hating that, but uh, man, it's kind of it's kind of cool <laughs> in, in a strange way. I have a daughter who's young, and she uh, she talks a lot, and uh, so it's been just uh, it's been a real treat. I love Janie, but I tell you what, it's. Man, she can wear your tail out. Okay, anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. I, I read this really interesting story that I want to share with y'all. I don't know how it really fits in, but, uh, man, it is worth sharing. There's this guy named Waylon Pendergrast, and uh, with the name Waylon, you know he's going to do something ingenious. And so Waylon from Tampa, Florida, was out at a bar drinking, got absolutely destroyed, and he was walking home. As he walked home, he decided, I'm going to rob a house great plan. And so he's, uh, he breaks into a house, steals as much as he can, and then he doesn't want anybody to find fingerprints. And so he gets gas, he pours in the kitchen, throws a match down, and the house goes up in flames. And he gets out of the house. He's walking home. So there's a thief walking home, carrying a bag of stuff that he's just stolen, comes around the corner to his house, and there's three fire trucks in front of his house. And he's like, what in the world's going on? And uh, so the police see him, they come over, they find out he's broken into a house, uh, but what they found out is that the house he broke into and set on fire was his own. Isn't that ingenious? And so they asked him, said, how in the world did you do that? I mean, what were, how did you not know it was your house? And he said, I didn't realize I had so much good stuff. Now, this is a guy who, uh, obviously, this is a great commercial for don't drink and get drunk. But this is a guy who didn't realize, he just sort of took for granted all the great stuff that he had. Now, I'm stretching to make this fit here. I just thought this story's unreal. But, uh, guys, there's many of us in life, there's a lot of stuff that, that we have that we just sort of take for granted. And we just sort of get used to it, and we don't realize how good it is. Um, I can give you a, a couple examples. Uh, for example, I take, I take electricity for granted. You know, whenever it's dark, I walk over to a light switch, and, I, of course, I think it's magic. Uh, you know, I hit a light switch, and then all of a sudden all the lights come on. Um, if I'm hot, I go over to our thermostat, and I turn it down, and uh, the house magically gets cooler. Now, I'm so used to doing that that I don't think a whole lot about it until I don't have it. For instance, when we went to Haiti, uh, their, they, their air conditioning were these huge, giant fans. And so it's awesome when you're blowing around 900-degree air. You know, it, it doesn't exactly cool you off. And we actually had this one little incident where we almost got in a fight with the ladies because they said we stole one of their fans. And, of course, you all know how ladies are. So anyway, uh, but, you know, it's all that stuff is great until, you know, until you don't have it. Now, another one is, is health. We get so used to having it, you know, until you don't have it. And of course, I gave you all the example last week that I got bit by a little bug, and that little bug absolutely destroyed my life. And I'm hoping that that bug suffers and dies a very slow death. And so there's just a lot of stuff, you know, that we take for granted. Now, the same thing is true spiritually. You know, as, as we are approaching Easter, which is next week, and man, I'm, I'm hoping that you'll be here and that this, you know, as usual, that we'll, we'll just plaster this place with people. But we get so used to talking about Easter and talking about the cross and the resurrection that it really doesn't mean a whole lot to us anymore. 
And it's, it's just so easy. It becomes a part of our jargon to say, you know, yeah, Jesus died for me, rose from the grave. You know, like, it's just, like that's just something to say, you know, like in passing. Yeah, Jesus died for me, then he rose from the grave. Because that's so significant. Those two things are two of the most transformative and powerful things that have happened in the history of man. That God came here and he gave his life on a cross and then he conquered death. That is significant. And so today my hope is that we will see the significance of the cross. Now, I understand it's not just something that we say, Jesus died for me and he rose from the grave without really thinking about it, but that we'll take time to understand why the cross is significant and why it matters and why it changes your life. And so today we're just very simply going to look at the cross and hopefully we'll come away with a deeper respect for the cross and what it means. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to look with me in Matthew chapter 27. We're going to look in verse number 33 in just a few moments. So Matthew 27, verse 33. And before we get there, as, as we talk about the cross, it is, it is really a mind-blowing thing when you understand that Jesus, the Son of God, entered into our world to die for us. He came to the world came into this world for you to change your life. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming towards him, said in John 1.29, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Jesus came here to deal on your behalf, to deal with sin. Why? For a very simple reason, because he loves you. God loves you, and he loves me. John 3.16, one of the very first verses I ever learned, said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Have everlasting life. Jesus came here to rescue us, but we can get so used to that that it it loses its significance. That it doesn't mean much anymore. You know, Jesus died for me, and he rose from the grave. I hope that we'll leave here where we just won't just say that. But we will see the power of that statement. So so why is it today we're going to be looking at the cross, focusing on the cross. Why is the cross so significant for us? And today, very simply, what we're going to do is we're going to see some reasons why the cross is significant. And the very first reason that I want you to see of why the cross is significant is because of the place of the cross. The place of the cross is very significant, and I'll explain. If you look in verse number 33, it says, When they came to a place called Golgotha, which means skull place. Now, this is where the crucifixion took place. It took place at Golgotha. Now, there's a lot of places in life that are significant. Now, for all of us, I'm sure that we all have different places that we find to be significant in our lives. And I'm going to share with you a couple of places in my life that are significant that might not be that significant to you, but they are me. Uh, One one of the places that is significant to me is Dairy Queen. Okay, now, now, you know, obviously some of you think, well, it's because of blizzards. Which, by the way, that is is proof that there is a God. Uh, Blizzards are absolutely unbelievable. But that is not why Dairy Queen is significant to me. You know why it's significant? When I first met Emily, the very first place we went together was Dairy Queen. 
Oh, now the reason why it's significant is not because we went there the first time. It's because that is where, for the first time, I began to have conversations with Emily. I got to know Emily well at Dairy Queen. We just meet after after class. We go to Dairy Queen, sit down. We just talk. We became very good friends. We became best friends during that time. So Dairy Queen's kind of it's a cool place to me. I mean, as soon as I see one, I think of my wife. I remember whenever we used to talk, which we don't anymore, but we used to. So Dairy Queen is significant to me. Now, another place that's significant to me is Lake Carolina Elementary School. And that's because that's where I peaked out educationally. Now, now Lake Carolina is significant to me because that's where we met for worship for seven years. I got to know so many of you at Lake Carolina Elementary. Now, there's a lot of y'all who every Sunday for seven years, you would show up early in the morning, we would set up, and then after the service was over, we would tear down. And so I I developed great relationships with many people in our church during those seven years at Lake Carolina Elementary School. So there are places in our lives that are significant. I want you to see today that the place of where the crucifixion took place was significant. Now, where did it take place? Verse number 33 says it took place at Golgotha, which means skull place. Now, it was called skull place because the place looked like a skull. As a matter of fact, there is a place right outside of Jerusalem. There's like a, a little hillside, a cliff that has, it's, it's, it's stone and it has two eye holes and a mouth. And they call it Skull Place. So, I mean, it's, it is a place. It's significant. I mean, it's a, it's a real place. Now, there's some things that are rather interesting about, about Skull Place. One, we can know that it was a place that is, it's a literal place and it was outside of the city gates of Jerusalem. So that's one way we know where the location of this place is. Hebrews 13, 12 says, Therefore Jesus suffered outside the gate, so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Now the Jewish people always kept death and, and, uh, and like sacrifice outside of the places where they lived and worshipped. Even to this day, Jewish cemeteries are outside the city gates. The place of the cross, it was a place of execution. We know that it was a place that was outside the city gates of Jerusalem. It would have been a very well-known place. The reason why is because the Romans are the one who would execute people on the cross. And they wanted everybody to see it. This was, it was not done off in some secret place. You know, there's an old hymn that we sing called, On a Hill Far Away. It wouldn't have been on a hill far away. It would have been right near the city walls. Because the, the Roman soldiers wanted to use crucifixion as a public deterrent. So that when people walked by, they would see people hanging on a cross and say, We better not mess with the Romans, because if we do, that is what they will do to you. It was a very specific and public place. We know this about the place of the cross. We know that it took place. Another name for it was called Mount Moriah. Now, I'm giving you a history lesson here. This stuff is like so fascinating to me. And if it bores you, hang in there. I'll be done in just a second. But Mount Moriah is mentioned all throughout Scripture. It's where the crucifixion took place. The very first time we see Mount Moriah in the Bible is in the story of Abraham in the book of Genesis. And you might remember that God told Abraham to take his son Isaac and sacrifice him. And he told him to take him to Mount Moriah, the place where Jesus later would be crucified. 
Now, if you remember the story, Abraham takes Isaac up there. He puts him on an altar. He's getting ready to sacrifice him. Now, I'm going to test y'all's Bible knowledge here. Do you remember what happened? Yeah, he, 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 front row right here. Congratulations. Very good. God told us to don't, don't sacrifice your son. He said, I have provided a ram for you in the bushes. That was a foreshadowing of what would take place hundreds of years later when God said there is a price to be paid for sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, your death, my death. But God gave a foreshadowing with Abraham and Isaac, and he said, you don't have to be sacrificed yourself. He said, I have provided another sacrifice for you in Jesus Christ. That took place on Mount Moriah. Another thing that took place on Mount Moriah is is that a man named King David came to a man named Orana in the Scripture, and he said, I want to buy this place. It was on Mount Moriah. The same area where Jesus was crucified. He said, I want to buy this place so that I can make a sacrifice to God for my sin. All throughout Scripture, you will see about Mount Moriah, it was a place of sacrifice. It was a place of redemption and forgiveness. And as we look at the cross, guys, the place of the cross is significant. It happened at a place of sacrifice and payment and forgiveness for you, for me. Why is the cross significant? When we talk about the cross, understand this. It's significant because of the place. But the cross is also significant for this reason. It's, it's significant because of the pain of the cross. The pain of the cross. Now, look with me in, in verse number 30, let's see, 35. It says, After crucifying him, they divided his clothes by casting lots, Then they sat down and were guarding him there. And above his head, they put up the charge against him in writing. says, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And two criminals were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their head and saying, the one who would demolish the sanctuary and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priest with the scribes and elders mocked him and said, He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He's put his trust in God. Let God rescue him now. He wants him, for he said, I'm God's son. In the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him kept taunting him. And from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of them standing there heard this, they said, he's calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, fixed it on a reed and offered him a drink. But the rest said, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. That's a long passage of scripture. But as you look through that scripture, one thing you'll understand is that there was incredible pain that came with the cross. And and that's why I I want you to, I want you and me to understand that when we say, yeah, Jesus died for me and he rose from the grave. we, We can't just say that in passing. There was pain that Jesus went through that was that was incredibly difficult when he went to the cross. You know, Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. He had power to just skip this whole ordeal. 
Uh, Jesus himself tells us in Matthew 26, he said, then Jesus told him, Peter, he said, put your sword back in its place because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot call on my father and he'll provide me at once with more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it, speaking of the crucifixion, must happen this way? Jesus willingly went to the cross and endured pain for you and for me that we might have freedom. You see, Jesus knew the only way that the justice of God could be satisfied was if a perfect sacrifice was given for the sinfulness of man. That's why Jesus went to the cross. And then whenever you read a verse like Romans 5.8, it says God demonstrates his own love for us in this, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, It'll become more powerful to you when you understand that when Jesus went to the cross for you, y'all, it wasn't some little thing like he was like, well, just give me a little shot and I'm going to pass away and that's it. It was excruciating pain. There was agony that was involved. You know, the word excruciating, it means out of the cross. The Bible's expository shares with us the pain that came with the cross. And I'm not going to get graphic, but I just want to share with you what the cross was. Soldiers would take the prisoner, and they'd get wrought iron nails, and they would drive them through the wrist of the prisoner deep into the wood, both hands. And then they would cross the feet over, and they would drive another nail through the heels of the man's foot, or his feet, into the wood, and then they would drop the cross down into place. And when they did, it would tear. And the man would hang there, Now, because he was hanging like this, it was difficult to breathe. And so what he'd do is he'd have to lift himself up, tearing his flesh to get uh, air into his lungs. As he did this all day, this was a process that took day. day, uh, It could take a couple of days, but it would take hours. He would continue to lift up, and finally his muscles would be overcome with spasms to where he could no longer lift himself up. You know how a person died on the cross? He suffocated to death. We're talking about the cross. We're not talking about something that was easy. We're talking about agony. And Jesus experienced agony. Not just agony, y'all. He experienced humiliation. And he allowed himself to go through this humiliation when he didn't have to. But he had a purpose to fulfill. What was the humiliation? Well, we're told in verse 38 that people would walk by and they, they were yelling at Jesus. Here's a man hanging on the cross. And they said, hey, if you're really son of God, come down from the cross. Religious leaders of the day would walk by and say, this man said he could tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. God loves you once you get off, get off that cross. Even the guys that are being crucified next to him, they're taunting him. How crazy is that? Jesus is undergoing humiliation, but he allowed it to happen Because he had a mission to fulfill. And whenever I understand the pain of the cross, there are times in my life when I become convicted and I begin to think there are so many times in my life when I've balked at being obedient to Jesus because I see it as an inconvenience. And then I'll look at the pain of the cross. There's times when I balk at being obedient to Jesus because I don't people think I'm weird. And then I look at the pain of the cross. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, following Jesus is not easy, and there are times when it's inconvenient. But what we're going to see in a moment is that there is victory because of the cross. 
there was a, oh, there's an old story about a boulder that was in the middle of a road and just been there for years and people would drive around it and of course as we all are we drive around it and we gripe I can't believe that boulder's there um, if you go down I-26 and you, I do a lot of griping down uh, if you go down Rymer Pond Road I'll be doing a lot of griping pretty soon it's closed for four months so you know we drive around people see this boulder and they just drive around it and they start griping I can't believe it's there what an inconvenience why didn't somebody move this well, finally, there's one guy got sick of it, and so he got a shovel, and he got a, a log, and he began to dig, and he used that log to pry up the boulder, and he moved it out of the way. He just tired of dealing with it. When he moved it out of the way, there's a, there's a little bag with a note on it, and as he read the note, the note said, thank you for taking time to remove the stone. Many have passed by here and have just simply complained, but they were not willing to do anything. But you were willing to serve the kingdom, and because of this, take this bag of gold, as payment for what you've done. Now, obviously, that's just a little a nice little story. But guys, I wonder how many of us have passed by many bags of gold simply because we don't bother to take the time to get involved in serving our heavenly kingdom because we see it simply as an inconvenience. You know, I look at Jesus. Jesus saw that there was a boulder that stood in the road of mankind, and it's sin. And Jesus said, I know it's inconvenient, but I'm going to remove that boulder that man might have freedom through me. And so whenever I look at the cross, I see it's significant. It's significant because of the place. It's significant because of the pain. And I want you to see that the cross is also significant because of the power of the cross. The cross is is significant because it carries with it great power. Uh, We'll read these final verses, starting in verse 50. It says, Jesus shouted again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit, and suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had gone to their rest were raised. And they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city, and appeared to many. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified. And they said, this man really was God's son. Yeah, it's it's important Jesus to know that Jesus willingly went to the cross. Jesus did not get overtaken by a bunch of Roman soldiers. And he's like, man, I can't do anything about this. And then they drug him off and hammered him up on a tree. Jesus willingly gave himself for us. He said, I gave up my life. Jesus said this in John ten eighteen. He said, no one takes my life from me, but I'll lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I will have the right to take it up again. I've received this command from my Father. Now, now why would Jesus, why, why would he do that? And there's two real simple reasons. The first reason why is because Jesus loves you. Jesus went to the cross because he loves you. But here's the second thing. Jesus knew that when he died that great power would be unleashed through his death. One of the first things that happened after Jesus breathed his last breath, it says that the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And you know, what in the world does that mean? Guys, that, that was in the Holy of Holies. There was a, the temple and the rest of the temple was separated by this curtain. The Holy of Holies is where the presence of God dwelt. And only one time a year would the high priest enter into the presence of God. And when he did, he'd bring a sacrifice with him for himself and for the sins of the people. And he did this as a way to offer, offer atonement or to offer, offer a sacrifice to God so that they could receive his forgiveness for the year. 
But then when Jesus went to the cross, the veil was split in two. What did that mean? It meant they no longer had to make sacrifices daily to the Lord and then once a year on the Day of Atonement. Jesus said, I am a once and for all sacrifice, and I have opened up the way to God for all men. Hebrews 7.27 says he doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins, then for those of the people. He did this once for all when he offered himself. Because of the cross, sin's now been overcome. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus. We're given another foreshadowing, and this is a strange verse that a lot of times we don't really pay attention to. It says after Jesus died, it said people who had followed God who died before, it says they rose up from the grave and they started walking around the city. Yo, I don't know how all that plays out. People have asked me questions. I was like, I don't even, I can't, I, I don't know what this means. I just know it means that dead people got up. Did they die again? I guess. But what does it mean? It was a foreshadowing of what Jesus' death on the cross meant. It meant that he gave man who is naturally dead, spiritually, life again. The cross has power because it gives life. You know, our world, we want to live longer. Most people want to live longer. I saw just a few weeks ago, they're doing, a, uh, they're doing a study right now about can they make a pill that's going to make it commonplace for man to live to be 100 years old. And you think, well, that's pretty neat. I mean, if I can you know, be in pretty decent shape and live to be 100, I mean, I think most of us would say, I'll take that. And so we get excited about that because let me tell you something, that is a shadow of what God offers people. God doesn't say, follow me, I'm going to give you 100 years. God says, you follow me and you trust in my son Jesus who died for you and rose from the grave. I will give you eternity. There's a big difference, 100 years and eternity. Man, give me eternity. Yes, we celebrate Easter. Let me, let me challenge you not to settle for a shadow. Don't settle for what the world offers. Let me, t- let me try to give you an example. There's, there's a great story by a pastor named Chuck Swindoll. It's one of my favorite pastors to listen to. And he tells a story, I've shared it before, that about, about the ringtail monkey. And he says, people always said it was the hardest monkey to catch in order to bring it to a zoo. But they learned how to do it finally from the natives. What the natives do to catch a ringtail monkey is they'll get a melon and they'll hollow it out. And then they'll put a shiny object in the bottom of that melon and they'll tie it off or, or nail it down to something. And when that monkey sees that shiny object, he's got to have it. And so he'll get his hand and he'll stick inside that melon and grab onto that shiny object and then try to pull it out. But he can't pull it out. And there's a couple of reasons. One, it's stuck in there. But the other reason why is the hole is just big enough for him to squeeze his hand in there. But when he makes a fist, he can't pull it out. The only way he can get his hand out of there is if he will let go of the shiny object and pull it out. Do you know what that monkey does? It wants that shiny object so bad, it will not let go. And so whenever the trappers come around the corner, there's that monkey and he's looking over at them. I'm obviously making this up, kind of. I didn't see it personally. But he will see the trapper coming towards him, and he will begin to yell. You know how those monkeys are at the zoo. Start yelling, and he's hanging on that thing, and he's trying to get away, but he won't let go of the shiny object. And the trapper comes over, grabs him, and throws him in a case. What a dumb monkey, right? What an idiot. But you know what? We're just like that monkey. We see the shiny stuff of the world. And we grab onto it, we think we got it. When in fact, what it does is it actually enslaves us. And guys, that's why the cross is important. You see, Jesus through the cross 
gives us life and freedom. And Jesus, through the cross, is calling out to us, saying, don't hang on to the shiny stuff of this world. He says, hang on to the cross. See, the cross is significant in your life and my life. Significant because of the place. Significant because of the pain. It's significant because of what it does for us, of its power. The cross pays for our freedom. Now here's the question. Have you allowed the cross to impact your life? See, there is a gift that has been given, the life of Jesus. But for it to be applied to your life, There has to be a bowing before Jesus at the cross saying, Jesus, I surrender to you. So we get ready for Easter next week. Guys, let the cross make a difference in your life today.